Welcome to Climate History, the podcast that explores what the past can tell us about the present and the future of climate change. I'm Emma Mosswild, PhD student in environmental history at Georgetown University. And I'm Dagmar de Groot, Associate Professor of Environmental History at Georgetown. In this episode, we're speaking with Jim McClure, general editor of the papers of Thomas Jefferson at Princeton University. He's also director of the Jefferson Weather and Climate Records, a new digital resource that draws on Jefferson's own meteorological records and other papers related to weather and climate. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I, I really appreciate your, your having me. This is, this is quite a thrill. So can you tell us a little bit about your background. Um, how did you come to be interested in the Jefferson Papers and their weather and climate observations specifically? Well, I have, I'm, I'm a historian. I have a, a doctorate from the University of Michigan. Um, I have been a documentary editor full-time for a long time, um, since 1982, when I first started. And um, so I worked originally on papers of the American sculptor, Daniel Chester French, who did the, the big Lincoln statue uh, in the Lincoln Memorial, and also did the, um, the Minuteman at Concord, very famous statues. He's responsible for doing some of the, the visual icons of American history. My background is not in art history, but, um, I got a kind of postdoc they offered at that time to get into documentary editing, and uh, it was on that project. I then, after a couple of years, I moved to another project, which was um, the papers of Simon P. Chase, a 19th century politician, and um, was there for several years. And in 1996, took a job as an associate editor at the Jefferson Papers Project, which is at Princeton University. So I've been here since then. And since 2014, I have been the project director. So the for the weather records, Jefferson's papers are, it's a very large body of papers. And the purpose of our edition is to publish them in their entirety. And so the first volume appeared in 1950, um, beginning with Jefferson's earliest correspondence. And we've been marching along since then. Um, the, the Princeton team is currently working through Jefferson's presidency and we're into his, his second term now. And the, so those volumes include his correspondence, um, memorandums, lots of different kinds of papers, both incoming and outgoing. So it's a lot of stuff. Um, but certain categories of Jefferson's papers were set aside and are not included in that, that main, what we call the main series of volumes. And things like financial papers, um, Jefferson's legal commonplace book, some of his, his writings on things, things that wouldn't fit very well into that chronological series of volumes. And that included the weather records. So the weather records have been around, they were really set aside and were not part of the edition's work until, um, well, a few years back, um, I, Dan Druckenbrod, who's at, he's an environmental sciences professor at, um, Ryder University here in New Jersey, uh, came to see us and to talk about the weather records because he has done a lot of work using Jefferson's weather records, also Madison's, James Madison's weather records um, in conjunction with dendrochronology and tree ring research. And so he has worked with archeologists down at Monticello and at uh, Madison's house at Montpelier. And um, he, he's done a lot of work with these records and he, he came and talked with us about the records. And at that time I was thinking, 
well, there's, there's nothing really we can do much with them because something like this we would do as part of volume of what we call the second series. And it would take a lot of time away from our regular work and it would just not be a, a good investment of time. And you would end up with a volume full of um, numerical columns of numerical data. It just wouldn't be all that useful for people to have it you know, on the printed page that way. But then since then, um, a couple of things happened. One is I got a couple of other people sort of talk to me about the, the Jefferson weather records. And that got me to thinking, well, there really is some interest in this at this time. And the other thing is, is we, um, because of another little side project we did, we started getting some expertise and some familiarity with how one would do this online instead of as a volume. And so in 2018, we embarked on this. Um, um, this is a, a side project apart from the main part of what the, the staff is working on at the, at the Jefferson Project that we could, we could do the weather records as an online project. And what we needed to do to do that was to get, to set up a collaboration with the Center for Digital Editing at UVA. Because the Center for Digital Editing is sort of started off as a branch of um, the Washington papers. And they particularly really sort of developed their expertise working with uh, Washington's financial papers, which is another set of papers that involves numerical data and you know how do you how do you deal with something like that? And they did it as a born digital project. So we we've set up this collaboration with them. They are handling the creation of the website and all of the technical pieces of it. And, um, but they're also documentary editors and historians. And so there's a very good collaboration between members of my team up here and their team to, you know, then a lot of work really developing in 2019. We decided that yes, we could do this. We could do it as a, um, a digital resource as kind of a side project of the main edition. Okay, so, so what can visitors expect to find on the website and for whom is this resource intended? How do you envision the records being used? That's a very good question and it's one that has been with us for, from the beginning. Because down at the Center for Digital Editing, the CDE, um, so the team there is, is Jennifer Sturzer is the director Erica Cavanaugh is the project developer and Katie Garrett um, does the, the data, data visualizations and, uh, and a lot of the other work also. And so Erica in particular started asking the question early on as we were planning this thing is what's the audience? And that has been a, a challenging question to deal with because there are multiple audiences. They're very different um, that we could, we can envision for this, um, which is not the answer that the designer of the website really wants to hear. But um, I have to say they've been just really good at, at figuring out how to make all this work. So one audience we knew would be people who are doing some serious climate history research and would really just want the data set, the transcribed data set. As Jefferson's weather records, it's um, the data set has ended up being more than 19,000 records. And that's, that's what we call the daily observation records. Those are his, his observations you know, often temperature, weather conditions, lots of other kinds of data, depending on when he's doing it. Um, so 
Um, and they and they run from July of 1776 in Philadelphia when Jefferson is there with the Second Continental Congress, and they run up almost to his death in 1826. Well, we knew, and, and an awful lot of it is really numerical data. It's Fahrenheit temperatures. There's some barometer readings, a couple thousand barometer readings. Um, there are um, notes of conditions, the weather conditions that Jefferson tended to put down as just an abbreviation, like C meaning cloudy, R meaning rain. Um, and so uh, it's a lot of data and we, we decided that we would transcribe this differently from the way we would handle most Jefferson texts and the way most documentary editions would uh, deal with their texts is we transcribed it basically as a, as a data set in a spreadsheet. We knew that one audience would be people who want those numbers and are capable of doing things with those numbers without any, any intervention by us. They want to be able to, to, to download the data set. And um, that is one, one feature of the digital resource. You can, you can go there and you can download the data set or you can limit searches in certain ways and then download that, the results of that. However, um, we're, we're documentary editors. We are, um, our, our funding is through documentary editing sources. So we can't really invest all the time to transcribe all of this only to have it be a numerical data set that somebody will, will download and that's it. And that's the whole, that's the whole site. Um, we, we do more with text. We need to, we need to do more with the documents. We also knew that there would be some other audiences for this besides just climate history specialist researchers who were who wanted who wanted the data set. So um, we we created the site to to sort of make it possible for those different audiences to to interact with these records. And part of this is a result of our own discovery as we worked with the records of just what all is in there. Um, and so we, we wanted to come up with different ways for visitors to access different kinds of the data. And so, um, and, and to really be able to get at that direction from, from different directions. Um, so I'm envisioning that um, one audience is going to be environmental historians, um, economic historians, social historians, historians for whom weather um, and the human experience of weather um, could be important either for their research or for something that they can point their students to, to use for um, research projects, say. Um, then there's an, another kind of audience that is really even more casual, that people who are just interested in different things that come up in these records um, and might want to, to come in and just sort of access them a little bit and then, you know, that's, that's it. They may, they may not even be historians or, or students of history. For example, there's a, there are, Jefferson made um, not, not thousands, but a, he made some notations about um, what is characterized as phenology, which is the, um, the sort of ecological aspect of seasons. You know, when are, when are plants blooming? When do birds, migratory birds appear in the spring? Um, this kind of information. And um, we, we wanted to make it so that someone who is interested in, say, 
migratory birds now um, could come in and get a little bit of information. I mean, you're, you, you're not going to get from Jefferson's records a huge data set about when, when certain birds are, are appearing, but he did make some notations about these. Um, and so there may be people who are interested in those ecological aspects who are not interested in the entire historical context, um, are not climate history specialists, are not really looking um, at big, big runs of data about, um, about climate change, but are interested in, you know, when, when is he hearing whippoorwills? Um, and, you know, we've learned a lot as we've dealt with this also. Um, for example, he, he has notations about whippoorwills. In the, in the Northeastern United States now, whippoorwills are much scarcer than they used to be. And this is something even within the lifetimes of people living now. Um, older people may remember like in New England hearing whippoorwills um, and, you know, but maybe don't, don't hear them now. That is another audience to this set. Um, so we ended up with um, a fairly rambunctious digital resource because it, it provides access points. The idea is to provide access points for lots of different kinds of audiences and to make it possible for them to do what might be useful for them with this information. Um, and then, you know, sort of bop in, get what they need and bop out and, and, that's, and that's it. So it was a, it, it, it's been an interesting sort of challenge trying to meet all of that. I love that a rambunctious digital resource. That's great. Um, so why did Thomas Jefferson record the weather of his time and how did he do it? Did he think that he could discern long-term trends? Can you, can you talk a little bit more about um, what, what Jefferson is actually doing in these papers? Well, I'll try. Um, the, the difficulty is that for all of his writings, Jefferson never really explained what he was doing with this. Um, he, in the, in the 1780s, he really prompted James Madison to start doing weather records. Um, and he says, oh, it'll, it'll be good for your own amusement and information. So, um, and there's actually, there, there's a page on the site where we sort of run through these things as to what, what would be the reasons why Jefferson is doing this. In a way, he's part of this larger enlightenment project to accumulate data and try to come up with a rational understanding of the universe. And particularly with reference to North America, you know, in the 18th century, scholars, you know, looking particularly at European scholars, don't have a, a lot of information about North America. And uh, if you look at the, um, at the published transactions of the American Philosophical Society, which was the, the real natural history, natural sciences, learned society in America, started in the mid uh, 18th century. If you look at the, the transactions, there will be things like a description of a particular kind of frog or um, a particular kind of rodent. Um, and you know, different, they're clearly working on just trying to describe the natural world. But then I think that Enlightenment project, what a lot of people were interested in was then moving beyond that, beyond just the description. As part of the description, they were interested in classification. So could they build taxonomies? 
But then they're also interested in trying to build bigger pictures of, you know, what are the laws that are governing the universe? How are, how are things related? How does this all work together? For example, someone would, a young man would write to Jefferson and say, what should I study? What should I, what should I learn? And it's clear from Jefferson's responses to these that he does not, he's not himself really interested in theory for its own sake. He thinks that, and, and you look at his own activity in science, he gets involved with a lot of different things, but there are always things that he has some particular reason that he's interested in that. For example, in the 1790s, some fossils are discovered in a cave in Virginia and these remains are sent to Jefferson. And he's very excited and he writes this analysis of these fossils that, um, and then particularly what he, what he finds, um, what, what's most interesting is that this is, it, it's clearly some sort of large mammal and has very large claws. However, the skull of the animal is not part of what was recovered. And so there are some leg bones, there are these claws, and Jefferson decides that it's, that, that from these claws, this is a large predator, it's something like a lion. Um, and it's um, the, the thing that he's most interested in is it's a very large lion. Um, it, it's got to be much bigger than anything from um, the, um, you know, Eurasia or Africa, you know, this is, this is, you know, it's a very large predatory cat. And this is important to Jefferson because he was in this dispute with the Comte de Buffon, a French natural scientist, because Buffon's writings had indicated that everything in the Americas was smaller and not as robust as what you found in the old world. And Jefferson worked very hard. He continued this dispute even after Buffon was dead and in his grave. Um, Jefferson was very interested in anything that would demonstrate that American animals um, were in fact robust and bigger than, than their old world counterparts. So he writes this thing up and he's, he writes this long report, which is published in one of our volumes. And he presents it as a paper to the American Philosophical Society in Philadelphia. Um, but the difficulty is, is he got many fundamental things about this wrong. It turns out that this was not at all a predatory cat. It was a large ground sloth. Um, it does still have the name he gave it, which is megalonyx, which means great claw. Um, it did have these big claws, but it was not a meat eater. It uses the claw, used the claws to, to grub up um, its food or to, to help it um, get its food. Um, so it's, it's a, you know, it, it is a prehistoric fossil. Um, it's, but Jefferson is not really interested in then when it comes out that this thing is a ground sloth, he's not interested in the larger picture of prehistoric life in North America. For him, the interesting thing was if it could be, if it was a predatory animal and it's bigger than anything that they had in the old world, that's what he would really be. Um, that, that's what he wanted. And so this is the way he is with lots of scientific questions. He was, a, he was an excellent numerical thinker. He was a very good quantifier. He really knew how to use data. Um, that was part of his education. Um, he, um, so he had the skills, but for him, he was only interested if it would help him in a particular thing. So what is the particular thing about weather 
that would sustain him making these records over the course of half a century. And he never really tells us that. And it's a little, you know, we, we have to, to infer. The, um, the thing that one catches on to after a while, though, is that he doesn't really talk about weather. He talks more about climate. And what he, what he will do is he'll, he'll write to someone and say, you know, if you can get a thermometer and if you can do temperature readings where you are and I can do them where I am, then we can start getting some comparisons and we can see. And, he, and again, he talks about it in terms of climate. And he's interested in differences in what, what differences elevation make because that, that's something that they were, were just then starting to sort of work out. You know, if he's sitting at his house at Monticello, which is on top of a small mountain, what's the difference in temperature between that and then down in the lower parts of Virginia down near sea level? Um, like on the same day, what would the temperature be? You don't really see him then processing that data and drawing conclusions about it. Um, now, Jefferson did believe that he was one of the people, one of many people who believed that climate was moderating between, from the time of the beginning of English settlement in North America to Jefferson's time, that climate had moderated, that it had become a little warmer, um, and that they, they believed this was due to human activity. Um, because, um, of course, completely ignoring the fact that indigenous peoples had agriculture, um, they, Jefferson et al. thought that, well, the English came in with, with their agricultural techniques, they cleared forests, this made a change, and, it, and they thought this change was leading to a moderation of temperature, um, moderation of the climate. Um, this, in fact, was not true, um, and we can we can see we know that in fact they that they were they were still in this this cooling trend that is is called uh, the Little Ice Age, as you know, and um, English settlement had not brought in some big change on the climate. If he was, you know, I, I he couldn't really be doing much comparison of a hundred years before. Um, with the numbers he was getting because there weren't numbers um, of that sort. There weren't temperature readings, et cetera, from 100 years before that he could do any comparison with. Um, so what exactly he was intending or thinking in terms of building that picture, um, I'm not, we're, we're, we're just not really sure what do, you, what do you want to do with all these numbers. I mean, there are other reasons why he, he would have been doing this, um, you know, you could say logically, well, his, um, his livelihood was based on agriculture. And so he wanted, he needed to know about the weather because farmers need to know about the weather. Um, we think there was some of that going on, but you don't really see him using the records for, for that purpose. Um, and, you know, saying, well, okay, I, I see that I need to plant tobacco, you know, two weeks earlier or two weeks later than I have been or anything like that. We don't see him really putting it to use in that fashion. Um, so ultimately I can't really say for sure why he is doing this. Quickly jump in actually. Uh, we wrote about five or six years ago an article um, by we I mean, uh, Colin Coates, professor at York University, and, uh, and, and me, um, then argued that some of the similar discourse in New France about a warming climate thanks to European, uh, you know, agriculture and cultivation that might have been tied in part to an actual warming trend that emerged uh, in much of the Northern Hemisphere at the end of a period called the Maunder Minimum, so the early 18th century. There's an actual modest warming trend, and then we go back into a period of cooling in the late uh, 18th century. So maybe there's actually a connection to some sort of real natural 
climatic process uh, uh, going on at the time as well. Yeah, that might have um, induced them to to sort of develop that theory and to think in those terms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to see these different kinds of information, especially, you know, in different centuries and different knowledge systems kind of collide. Um, so what, and you've touched on this, um, but what are some of the unique benefits of this resource? Um, and then um, what challenges might people studying what past weather and climate encounter using these documents? Sure. So, you know, when you, when you talk about the chronological span of Jefferson's observation records, it's, um, it's very impressive. And you say, oh, 1776 to 1826. And so you have the benefit of a long run of, um, of record there. Once you start Looking at it, though, and, and dealing with the details, um, it becomes, it, it's, you know, it really is not a continuous record over 50 years, and particularly at one place. There are some big gaps in the record when Jefferson wasn't keeping his, his record, or Perhaps he, I mean, there are some gaps where he was keeping it, but it's, it's missing. We don't have that data now. Um, but the other thing is he's moving around a lot. And so this, this record that's over 19,000 observations, and by observations, the way we ended up transcribing this to make a record, what constitute a record in the data set was to take, Jefferson would often make two observations a day. There are times when he would make more. Sometimes he'd only make one. But the general practice, and other people would do this also, the general practice was to try to do a, a reading, a set of observations at sunrise, trying to catch the lowest temperature, and then do one, Jefferson would usually do it at three or four o'clock in the afternoon, depending on time of year. So we would take that as one of those, like the morning observation on a particular date, that was a record. And so whatever he recorded in that observation, that would be a record. And then in the afternoon when that would be another record. So this thing has, it's 19,000, it's more than 19,000 records and more than 17,000 of them have temperatures. But again, it's not a continuous thing and it's not all in the same place. He's doing, you know, it's, it's Philadelphia at times. Um, the, the most readings are really at Monticello when he's home at Monticello. But sometimes what he's doing, if he is in either Philadelphia when it's the national capital or Washington DC after it became the national capital, if he's there, when he's vice president or you know, secretary of state or vice president and then um, president in Washington. Um, he's making observations in the national capital when he's there. And then he goes home to Monticello for a part of the year and he's making the observations there. So even in, in a particular year, one year, um, will, until he retired and went home to Virginia after the presidency, you don't have a run of observations that are that pretty much stay in one place. In the 1780s, when he goes to France, he makes observations there while he's in France um, as the U.S. minister, the ambassador to France. Um, so, I mean, that's very interesting. We have Jefferson's readings of temperatures from France, but it means that the thing is uh, is a hodgepodge. The same holds true for the kind of data that he's recording. Uh, there are 19,000 records, but not all of them have temperatures. Most of them have temperatures. Only a couple of thousand, I think it's 2,600 of them, include barometer readings. 
And for a lot of researchers who want to use temperature data from that period, um, the optimal thing is if they can have barometer readings and then using the elevation they can um, of the of location of the site, they can use the barometer readings to help them to help calibrate the temperature readings they've got. So there's only about 2,600 of Jefferson's readings that include barometers. I think um, this, this points to the fact that barometers were um, harder to come by for many observers. He had the wherewithal to have barometers, but I think in his case, this again goes to his individual um, sort of preferences. I think he was not interested in barometric pressure as a relationship to weather. He was more interested in using a barometer to help you see differences in elevation because he would do some things. He, he did a little set of experiments um, in the 1770s when he would on the same day use his barometer and get the barometric pressure and then the temperature down on the Rivanna River and then up at the top of his little mountain of Monticello to see what the differences were. So he was not really interested in long-term use of barometers um, to, to help understand the weather. Um, and he was not interested in developing theories of weather, um, what causes weather. So there are some barometer readings for, for some periods. There are times when there are hygrometer readings. He used at least three different kinds of hygrometers at different times. Um, but from everything we've been told by people who, who know this and from what we've been able to, to see on our own, um, hygrometer information is not particularly useful to us now um, because they're just, they're not instruments that were, could measure, you know, the moisture in the air. Um, in, on some calibrated scale. And so you can't really do much with them, um, with, with readings from, um, from hygrometers. So he's, um, he recorded wind direction often, um, not every time, but often he, he'd do wind direction. Um, that's pretty straightforward and is, is more useful data. He didn't do a lot with wind force as to how, how much wind there was. Um, so you end up with this big body of data that on the face of it looks like, you know, it's like, wow, I can really sell this. This is something really important for, for us to understand. Once you start really looking at it, it's it's uneven and it's spotty and it's different places. And Jefferson rarely specifies where he's putting his thermometer. And that's an important thing at that time because they were just trying to work out where do you put your thermometer? Do you put it inside? Do you put it outside? Do you, um, you know, where, what are the best conditions to, to put a thermometer? He, he rarely specifies where he's putting the thermometer. Now there is one set of records, um, one period when he starts this in, in Washington, DC, this is during the time when he's president. He appeared to have at least two thermometers that he was using. And one of them, I guess was outside, but one, he doesn't really tell us that's the one he's using for his regular readings. But then he decides to start doing readings of a thermometer inside his unheated bedroom. And so he, he puts in parallel columns. We've got these readings off of that thermometer. And he, um, he also recorded apparently how much the window was open or he talks about this cover. I don't know if there was a cover on the thermometer it seems to have to do more with how open the window was, open or shut the window was. Um, 
And he went through and he did all these readings so that you could see, you know, like every morning, what was the temperature of thermometer, you know, he's getting from the thermometer in, in the bedroom. And then you can see that with the one, you know, the, the other thermometer. Um, what does one do with that? Um, basically, what we ended up doing was hiving it out from the, the regular daily observation records and have it on the site as its own table, um, explaining as much as he explained about it, <clears throat> and then just sort of leaving it there. You know, if someone can make use of that, that's fine. Um, perhaps it'll it'll help advance knowledge and it'll make a contribution. But um, you know, it's it's also just it's one of these anomalies. It's kind of a quirk. Jefferson's, you know, there's this. It's this, it's a tremendous resource, but it's a very idiosyncratic kind of resource. Um, this, um, we really, we encountered this also just in terms of trying to do transcription of his record because he, he used a fairly consistent format with columns on the page, but he changed it around a lot. Um, he changed what instruments he was using, but he also would just sort of change. He didn't always do it so that the date is the left-hand column um, or that the temperature is the third column from the left. He, he, he would vary that. Um, he also um, would record, um, like for barometric pressure, if it's 29.38, and the one just above it in the column was 29.22. That second one he would just record is 0.38. So we ended up doing what amounts to kind of a double transcription of the whole thing. There's a transcribed field. So that barometric pressure in the transcribed field comes through as 0.38. But then there's also a data field that is 29.38 so that if somebody wants to do something with that data, if you're going to manipulate the data, you can, you've got the, the correct number to, to do it with. So we did that for a number of the different fields of data, which is sort of expanded out the data set. But it means that we can actually, on, on the resource, the, the people at the Center for Digital Editing did a very good job of this. You can see um, either a transcription view and see see our transcription of exactly the way Jefferson wrote on the page, or you can see the data view, um, which is information in a way that's more usable for somebody who wants to do something with those numbers. So it was, um, there was, um, it, it, it presents a great deal of promise and a great deal of challenge to, to do the digital resource. Your website eloquently, I think, uh, encourages readers to uh, put Jefferson to use without accepting all that he was or did. Um, can you expand on this point a little bit? Uh, how did the uh, contested, controversial, I think, um, memory complicate, maybe contribute to this project? On the project, um, there are, in, in, the, in the Princeton editorial office, there are, there are nine of us, and um, three of us have, have worked on the, on the weather project, and I should, I should state their names. The, the other two are Allison Dolbeer and uh, Lenny Shank. But for all of us on the, on the Jefferson Project, we're not doing the edition. This edition has been around since, you know, it really got going in the 1940s, published first of all in the 1950s. It's taking a very long time to do. Um, it's a, it's, that's because it's the density of the material. Um, and as I said, we're now up into the presidency. The um, a, a presidential volume covers a bit over three months of Jefferson's life, and it includes 600 documents, roughly, um, give or take. So it's, it's a lot of stuff. It's very dense. We're not doing it as a memorial to Jefferson, um, nor are we all there, or any of us there, um, because we are um, great advocates of, of Jefferson. Um, in my own case, 
what I figured out when I first started working on the project is I don't have to become an expert on every detail of Jefferson or to like everything that was happening with Jefferson. Um, but I do need to be an expert and an advocate of his papers. I need to understand what's going on with his documentary record. Particularly in terms of race and slavery, Jefferson's papers are significantly unrevealing. And this is, this is not news to anybody who's, who's you know, looked into any aspect of, of Jefferson. It just, race and slavery come up very little in, in the papers. Um, we just, we churn along doing, compiling what for us is a documentary record of that period insofar as it's revealed from his, his papers. And actually right now where we are in the presidency, incoming letters and correspondence um, outnumber outgoing uh, letters by at least two to one. And so we're seeing a lot of things where people would write to Jefferson, um, like wanting assistance or petitioning for a pardon or um, different things that are really quite revealing and, and tell us an awful lot without having to um, engage that much with, with Jefferson. What I wanted to do, what, what seemed to be important for this, for the weather record was to not have it be that it's sort of like, gee whiz, here's Jefferson and Jefferson's weather record. And um, that I, we wanted to decenter Jefferson is, a, is the term we've used. You can't get away from Jefferson with this record because he created it. And there are all of these aspects of it, of this record um, that require looking at Jefferson, you know, what, what was his education? What, what was his access? How did he have access to these instruments? What was he up to when he did this? So it's very much Jefferson, Jefferson, Jefferson. Um, what we want to be able to do is to make the record available though, to people who just, despise Jefferson, don't like Jefferson, don't, you know, that um, for various very solid reasons, look askance at any record that, that comes from him. What we want to be able to do is to make people, make it possible for people to use this data um, without having to accept Jefferson or accept everything that, you know, he's he was associated with. On, on the topic of, of slavery and race, um, I, I cannot begin to excuse Jefferson. I just, I, I don't, don't care for him at all. I'm not a, a Jefferson fan um, when, it, when it comes to that topic. However, we got a lot of good stuff here. It's important to remember that weather affects lots of people, um, not just Jefferson. He's given us information that will help us understand what life was like at that time, what weather was like. And we've tried to, to get at that a little bit. Like we're, we're, we try to do little write-ups of some weather events, such as the winter of 1804-05, which um, when you really start looking at it, would have been just horrible for many, many people uh, in the United States. So here's a way we can use Jefferson's record to get at what life was like for other, other people. Um, the way we sort of get at that, there's a couple paragraphs of explanation we give on the site. In the period running up to the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln and some of his associates in the, in the fight against slavery, um, including Simon P. Chase, who's papers I've worked on previously, um, really co-opted Jefferson. They appropriated Jefferson and used Jefferson, particularly through the Declaration of Independence and Northwest Ordinance statements like that. They, they advocated that Jefferson was in favor of equality 
and he was opposed to the expansion of slavery into the territories. They were they needed to do this because they had run into a lot of opposition in trying to argue that the Constitution was not a slavery document. So they did a kind of an end around and they could use the Declaration of Independence, they could use the Northwest Ordinance, and they could use Jefferson and the, the esteem of Jefferson. And they could say, look, Jefferson is supporting what we're, was supporting what we were advocating here. Um, it was a, a complete appropriation. Uh, Jefferson would not have been pleased with what they were doing. Um, but I see this as, I see this, what we're doing with the weather records is somewhat similar. It's like uh, when Jefferson wrote, all men are created equal, did he mean exactly what we would say now? No, but we can take that, we can take that statement and we can put it to use. Um, and, you know, as, as Lincoln did. And I think we can do the same thing with his weather records, Jefferson's weather record. We can say, you know, it doesn't, um, we don't have to accept Jefferson's, um, you know, Jefferson individually to put this data to work. Um, we also try to acknowledge there on the site, uh, it's important to realize that Jefferson was the recorder of this data, but there were an awful lot of other people who were, um, who played a role in getting those numbers on that page. Um, they didn't play a role directly necessarily, but it included all of his uh, enslaved workforce who made it possible for him to have the time to be able to devote to um, reading his thermometer and recording all of this, um, this data. And so, um, you know, in a way we can take this information and use it to help understand what their lives were like also. They're anonymous in this record, but if we can see what weather was like and what, you know, help us understand what life was like at that time, that's a useful, that's a useful thing. Seem to me it would be unfortunate would be to just not do anything with this record because it's Jefferson's. Yeah. So as you've alluded to and described for us, the the website contains such a wealth of information. And I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for others who might be interested in compiling or transcribing data on past weather and climate. Well, that's a very good question because that leads us into uh, an important topic here. So one of the things that really uh, induced us to go ahead and get going with this and do something with this project is that the the APS, the American Philosophical Society, pretty much at the same time we've been working on this project, they've begun a digitization project for weather records in their collections. And they have a lot of significant weather records because they were the premier scientific learned society. Uh, and um, a lot of weather records, weather diaries that were kept ended up going to the APS. Um, some of them were published in their transactions, some not. Um, I was aware of that because some of those records came through Jefferson. For example, William Dunbar, who was um, originally from Scotland, but he was a, an educated person. Um, he had lived on a plantation on the lower Mississippi River. And in the, I believe the 1790s, late 1790s, he kept a meteorological diary over the course of a year. He sent that to Jefferson, who then it sent it on to the APF. So I knew that there were some of these records there. As it turns out, Madison's weather records, most of them are at, in the collections of the APS. So the APS has begun digitizing um, their weather records also. They've, they've got the, the Madison stuff up now on their sites, on their website, and they're working currently on David Rittenhouse. Um, and then they're going to be moving into, into others. We have been in close conversation with them 
as they've been working on their project and we've been working on ours. So Bayard Miller, who is the, um, the head of their digitization team, he and I and Jennifer Sturzer at the Center for Digital Editing um, have been working on plans for what would be really more of an umbrella site for early American weather records. And to make it possible for a user to go to that digital resource and be able to access the Jefferson record, the APS records, and any others that we can, you know, that are that are being digitized that we could um, that we could sort of bring in on this. In in some cases, it might just be a matter that from that portal one would get the links to go to those other sites. But what we really want to be able to do is to make it so that there is a compatibility of structure so that there could be common searching of these. Uh, you'd be able to take Jefferson's data set from our site and the, um, the Madison data set, say, from the APS, and we'd be able to do a search that would cover both of those. And then anything else that we can that we can get in there. So uh, we're, we're just in the planning stages with that and we're gonna need to look at how to fund it and how that larger project will, will take place. But it, it's very much in the works. We're, we're in talks about it right now. Um, and as part of that, one of the things we're, we're thinking about is to, to provide information and to provide, to be kind of a, a clearinghouse or a place where one would come to know that if you are going to digitize a, a set of weather records, um, what might that data set, what, what do you need to have in mind when you do the data set in order to make it uh, tie in with, with others? What, what's, the, what's, the key, what's the key to that structure? Um, we're only now working on, we'll, we'll begin looking at really sitting down and taking the, the Jefferson and the Madison and the Rittenhouse and saying, okay, how do we connect these? What do we do in the way of um, naming the fields? How do we make it so that um, there, there really can be a common search across it if what you're after is Fahrenheit temperatures? Um, that um, it'll be able to, the search engine will be able to reach those. And you know, how do you make all of that different kinds of data discoverable? And it's, of course it gets complicated because of the recording of data of weather conditions, for example. Um, sometimes that's done, somebody does that in a weather diary where it's just more, more of a prose description. Um, Jefferson did these little terse kinds of abbreviations that we can, we translate in a data field is like cloudy, fair, fair after rain, but that's his system. How do we make that so that that can communicate with and, and have a commonality with however Madison recorded his conditions um, and you know, other, other people did theirs. So it's going to take a lot of work of sort of like seeing exactly how do you, how do you do that? And, and what are the technical limitations and, and needs there. And then what we'll be able to do is on this site, this umbrella site, we'll be able to tell people, um, okay, it'd be really useful is if you do it this way and to maybe provide some guidance and encouragement um, to try to spur digitization and transcription of more, more data records out there to provide uh, information for how one can do that um, and, and make it so that we can get more sets of records from various repositories as part of this larger project. Because what we'd really like to be able to do is to get as many as possible American weather records from before mid-19th century um, accessible in this larger endeavor. Oh, that's very exciting to hear. Uh Dr. McClure, thank you so much for uh, joining us again. And, and that website is jefferson-weather-records.org.
www.thepeopleshow.org. Well, thanks very much for having me. This is this has been a real treat. To learn more about climate change in the past, present, and future, visit historicalclimatology.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ClimateHist. Thanks for listening to the Climate History Podcast.